The Columbus Dispatch series, Unmasked, looks at the connections between firefighters diagnosed with cancer and exposure to carcinogens released during and after a fire. As part of the series, we're presenting podcasts featuring firefighters and the people around them. In this podcast, reporter Mike Wagner talks with Nora Jagley. Her husband, Peter, was a Toledo firefighter for 17 years until his death in 2013. I was working at the time, and my landlord knocked on my door early in the morning one morning, and I was like, oh man, why are you doing this? I'm not ready. I have to get ready for work. I look like crap, you know, just got out of the shower. And she's like, I want to introduce you to your neighbor. And I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> uh, so that was awkward, but... Um, later, I don't even know, probably a week or so later, I saw him walking when we were getting our mail, and that was, that was it. And he actually told me that the day he met me when I was looking so bad, he told his mother, I met the girl I'm going to marry. And we did. Eventually, Peter Jagley followed through on the prediction he made to his mom. They dated for a few years before he bought Nora's birthstone as an engagement ring. Peter loved to ride bikes, and he convinced Nora to do a long, hilly ride in Cincinnati on a tandem bike. Nora was in back and saw Peter repeatedly reaching behind himself to make sure something didn't fall out of his shorts. I, we were on a tandem, and it was hard to find a tandem because I was so short and he was so tall. So when we're riding the tandem, my head's like right in his behind, and <laughs> a little uncomfortable. But he kept, I don't know if you're familiar with biking jerseys, but they have um, like pockets in the back. Mm -hmm. And he kept reaching back and touching his pocket the whole ride. And I'm like, what, what is going on? And at the end of the ride, he pulls the ring out of his, the pocket and he proposes and I started crying. And actually some of our friends were down there with us, another firefighter. So he came up to me and he's like, honey, you're okay. Did you fall? Where are you hurt? I'm like, no, don't touch me, I'm engaged. <laughs> I remember we were on that tandem and it goes from like Cincinnati down into Kentucky and there's some hills down there. It was scary. We, at one point we hit 55 miles an hour going downhill on the tandem. And he's like, don't move at all because we could wipe out really easily and get hurt. And I remember him always yelling at me, pedal, pedal. <laughs> Are you pedaling back there? <laughs> I was. Just not as hard as him. But the thing is, the funny thing is, I was never into biking before Pete. Like, I didn't even have a bike until I was 16 years old. So it was all kind of new to me. Yeah, he liked to ride. I mean, he always liked to ride. He had a mountain bike. He had a road bike, we had a tandem. I had a mountain bike, I had a road bike. I mean, it was a big thing in our lives uh, before children. Peter and Nora were married for 17 years and had two beautiful daughters before he lost a long, brutal fight with cancer in October of 2013. A doctor told the couple that he believed the cancer, which started in his kidney and spread all over his body, was caused by Peter being exposed to fires for 16 years. Since Peter's death, Nora and her girls have essentially been adopted by the Toledo Fire Department. She has never spoken publicly about her husband's cancer fight, and the firefighters there are fiercely protective of her privacy. 
a couple firefighters jokingly threatened me when I made the request to talk to Nora about her husband, but they really weren't joking. Nora finally agreed to tell her story to myself and dispatch web producer Doral Chenoweth, but only under the watchful eye of the Toledo Fire Chief Luis Santiago, who had been friends with Peter since elementary school. Peter loved nothing more than his wife and daughters, but being a firefighter was a close second. And if you knew Pete, he was very passionate about the job. Like, firefighting was his life. It was family, then firefighting. And he just, he loved the job. And he always told me, like many times, and he would tell other people too, he would say, you know, being a firefighter is the best job in the world. And the fire department allowed us to live this life that we're living. You know, we could afford to buy our first house. You know, it, it was a good thing. He would read different books about it. He would study for the test so that he would become a lieutenant, a captain, a battalion chief. It was, uh, it was his life. He loved it. He loved everything about it. He loved the schedule. It allowed him to spend a lot of time with the girls when they were growing up. And so he never regretted uh, being a firefighter because he, he lived every day. He was always on the go. He was at a fire and I can't remember the name of the company, but he came out of the fire and he, had wear, he wore all of his protective gear. He had his mask on. When he took his mask off, he was silver. And it was, uh, that was a bit scary. It was not normal. I remember one time he told me, and he sh I have his helmet at home, I should have brought it. His helmet caught on fire, his head was on fire, and someone was going like this, and he's like, quit hitting me. And they're like, your helmet's on fire. <laughs> he was proud of that. You know, that was, for him, that was, that was good. He did not like, clean turnout gear. Um, you know, if your turnout gear was clean, that means you weren't working hard enough. Although he did wash his gear. I remember him washing his gear. And he washed his helmet too. I know that. I don't mean to say he was dirty, like he liked to look dirty. I'm just saying he, like his gear was dirty. He didn't like fresh, clean gear that with no blemishes. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Before he was diagnosed with cancer, Peter was one of the last guys you wanted to pick a fight with. He was loaded with muscles, weighed 225 pounds, and had those rugged good looks that caught Nora's eyes. Oh, he was good. Okay. Big, robust, muscular, good-looking, handsome man. He worked out. He, um, he rode his bicycle. We have a weight machine. But no other major health issues or anything like that? Okay. Never. Mm -mm. When it came time to talk about Peter's cancer, an emotional Nora used a detailed journal, a giant green binder filled with medical papers that she kept and detailed the many stages of Peter's fight that started in July of 2011. What was Peter's start for his battle? Like, how was he, how did he become aware that he had cancer? Well, it's interesting that you asked that because prior to this meeting I went through all, all of our paperwork and I was looking at everything and I found his note he kept a calendar of everything that happened every day leading up to that the week prior 
to finding out he had cancer. So um, can I grab that really quick? And I'll tell you in his words. Absolutely. So this is his writing, this is his calendar. It's a firefighter calendar. So approximately what uh, year and month? This is June 2011. Okay. He did a 25-mile bike ride on Monday, June 27th. So on June 28th, he noticed clots in his urine at work. And he thought maybe it was because of the long bike ride that he did, although he's never had that problem before. So um, cl uh, blood? Clots. Okay. Yeah, clots in his urine. And then on Wednesday, June 29th, he had blood in his urine at work. Um, July 11th, we went to the emergency room. He was doubled over in pain. Yeah, and um, the CAT scan showed a five centimeter mass on his right kidney. And then July 14th was when we got the news. Um, it looked it looked like cancer. And it was actually almost a six centimeter. When they took it out, it was almost six centimeter mass on his right kidney. And it was renal cell carcinoma. And that was the beginning, July 14th, 2011. It was already a stage three. So at that point, we just needed to know, you know, can this come out? Can we get this out? We went to see uh, urologist, Dr. Perone. He was great. And he said it didn't spread into the lymphatics. So they were gonna just remove the kidney and we were gonna consult with an oncologist. So um, we did that and they removed his kidney on August 29th. 2011. Yeah. And then from there, we, we were consulting with a, a nephrologist to make sure the left kidney was sure. healthy. Um, and also we were consulting with an oncologist to see what's next, what happens next. So at that time, um, it was September of 2011, we were at our oncologist office, Dr. Ritter, and in Toledo, and he said, there's really no chemotherapy for kidney cancer. And he said, I would like you to think about taking part in a national, uh, the National Cancer Institute, a drug study. And we did. It's called Everol Everolimus was the drug. And he started taking that. Now we didn't know if it was the placebo or the real drug. Um, in the end, we found out it was the placebo. But early on, Peter wasn't going to allow the cancer to take his life from him. He continued to work for more than a year, ride his bike, and play golf. 
What happened then is um, he was like 225 pounds then. He was like six foot, 225, you know, muscular, sure. big, outgoing, I saw. passionate man. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have fought, fought him, that's right. <laughs> but I wanted to mention that because uh, when he passed away, he was only 117 pounds. You know, he was just, it was very sad to see. What ended up happening was um, in October of 2011, the cancer metastasized to his right hip bone. And um, the renal cell carcinoma, um, it is very vascular, like he had a tumor and it was very vascular. But the cancer continued to be aggressive and eventually ate away at the ball of Peter's hip. That led to a hip replacement surgery and a feeling that everything was then going to be fine. Okay, we have that done. You know, we're thinking, sure. it's all good. You know, Pete's recovering. Um, he's home. We're, you know, everything's going fine. But it wasn't fine. The hip problems continued. In April 2012, he started radiation. But after one treatment, Peter got up off the radiation table and heard a pop. That led to a CT scan, which revealed the full extent of his cancer. Well, then we had a CT scan in April, and it showed that the cancer had metastasized um, to the liver, and there was another tumor up in the thigh. And the tumor was like 4.5 centimeters. From here on out, we, we uh, stopped the drug study found out it was a placebo, and we went up to University of Michigan now. Their life became a swirl of embolization and debridement procedures, hyperbaric chambers, and then months into the process, doctors at the University of Michigan presented them with the hardest decision Nora and Peter had faced together. A big thing that happened that uh, we did is um, we went up to U of M, you know, we were going often and it was hard because it's, you know, a little bit of a drive there and a little bit of a drive back and, and parking and trying to get him in and he can't really sit in the car. It's hard for him to sit in the car. So, you know, he's sitting in the car like this, you know, and, and he's conscious of, oh my gosh, is my, um, you know, is the saline leaking through, you know, is it leaking through my pants? It was just, it was, you know, it was embarrassing for him. And so our oncologist up at U of M said, we have an idea, listen to us, talk about it, see what you think. They said, this wound is not going away. You can't, and the, um, his hip replacement, um, the appliance that he had in his leg was becoming unstable uh, because of all this going on with the cancer and the tumor and everything. And they were afraid that his leg was just uh, gonna break um, because the t this didn't go all the way down. You know, the appliance only went to about right here. Sure. They were afraid his leg was gonna break and they said, if your leg breaks, it, it's gonna be really bad and, it, and you could die. Uh, because of all the vascularness of the tumor. 
and they said, we want you to go and we want you to talk to um, a doctor here and discuss the possibility of amputation, having your leg taken off. It would remove the tumor, it would remove your wound, you would be able to sit again, you know, you could have a prosthetic leg, you could have your life back. And, you know, it was like, when we went to see that doctor, uh, that was a turning point. We were, we were thinking, okay, you know, let's listen to what she has to say. Um, it's a dangerous surgery. And Pete was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get this done. So this was a huge step. This was a huge decision. I would say it was one of the biggest decisions we made. Uh, and March 19th was his amputation surgery. And we, Pete and I, really didn't know if he was gonna make it through this surgery. It was really serious surgery. And we had planned, like we had our will done. Um, we had paperwork that we had to have done to um, the union. Like we got our ducks in a row before the surgery. And it was crazy. Uh, the surgery, they amputated um, all the way up to his hip uh, with his hip bone, you know, that was gone. He went through like 36 units of blood for this surgery. I remember I saw, I got to see him right before they wheeled him in and it was, it freaked me out because he had this thing on his neck. It, Literally, it looked like a guitar. You know the top of the guitar, how you have the strings and how you have these knobs that turn to tune the guitar? He had this right here sticking out of his neck so that they could hook up units of blood and just give him blood so he didn't bleed out on the table. And he went through 36 units of blood. It was completely crazy, insane surgery terrifying um, but he made it he made it through and we were very optimistic really optimistic things were going great you know we went and had a fitting for his prosthetic leg we got his leg in July and everything looked really good we were really positive and optimistic I remember that was in July of 2013 Two weeks later, we go for another scan. Well, everything isn't good. So for two weeks, we were excited. We thought we were cancer-free, um, but it just ends up they didn't see it. Uh, so it's back, and now we have it. It's in the liver, it's in the lungs. After another CT scan, bone scan, all that, MRI, it had, the cancer had metastasized to his uh, spine. And so this is when we started, I guess, thinking, okay, I, don't, I think this might be it. Um, every time we went up to University of Michigan, they would do blood work to check certain levels, usually mostly his calcium level, um, because if his calcium level was really high, he would have to have an infusion of a certain drug called Zometa because he would be, he, it would whack out 
his brain, like he, he would be um, not making sense uh, and not acting right. So every month we usually had an infusion of this. And I remember um, the last time, like I could tell the last time he needed it. And the U of M doctor said, we're not going to give it to him. Um, and, and that was right then. That was the day I knew. It was like, okay. Our hope was gone. Sorry. Thank you. And that was the day that we signed up with hospice. Um, so after we signed up with hospice, it was really important to Pete for him to plan his funeral. But what was really, really important to him was where um, we were going to bury him. So, um, we went out to the cemetery, met with the people, and he chose his spot. And he was, he loved it. He, he's like, okay, here I am. This is where I'm going to be right under this tree and it's funny because it's right off um it's right by the metro park and he would ride that way on his bike rides so he's like yeah when all my friends ride by me they can say hi <laughs> and they do which is funny bryce was uh, pete's best friend and he's also a firefighter and he just told me um two weeks ago yeah i rode by pete said hi <laughs> so it was really important for him to know where he was going to be buried and he picked out his headstone that was really important to him to pick out his headstone so we got all that done um, and I think after that he um, had some peace um, so hospice had come and it was funny because he had three really good friends, and they were all firefighters. And he was having a boys' day where the boys were coming over, and they were just going to sit in his room, in his sick room, his bedroom, and just talk. And that Tuesday, before that Thursday, was when, you know, they wouldn't do the infusion and and I knew it was close. And uh, the boys came over on Thursday, but Pete was out of it. He didn't know they were there. Although subconsciously, I think maybe he heard them because they were so loud. I'm sure he heard them. Firefighters are loud. And I think there were a lot. There was a lot of swearing going on oh, too because my niece. I had asked my niece to come over and just because he needed medicine at certain times, and I had had to go that day out to the funeral home and make arrangements um, just finalize some arrangements that we had made and um, she brought her son with her and she's like god those guys really swear 
like, I'm sorry. She's like, they were so loud. I felt so bad. So anyway, he had his, his day with the boys, and that was a Thursday. And that night, uh, well, that day he was pretty much out of it. And that night took a turn for the worst. And uh, that Friday um, went into hospice. We had talked about this, Pete and I and the girls, every step of the way. We had talked about this is what's going to happen. Um, and we had asked the girls, you know, do you, you know, do you want dad to pass away at home? You know, is that going to, you know, freak you out? And, and the girls were little. They were 12 and 13. And they're like, we're scared of ghosts, mom. No. You know, so. We had decided, Pete and I, we talked about it, and we had decided that we're going to keep him to the last minute possible, um, but we didn't want him to pass away in the home. Uh, so he was in hospice, and it, he went in at like 4.30 Friday night, Saturday morning. He had friends come over to hospice, firefighters and stuff came over on Saturday and I couldn't handle it anymore I said um, this is family time and Pete had a really close friend also she's a firefighter she's the assistant chief Karen Marquard and Karen kind of like um, told everyone, Nora doesn't want you here. You know, this is family time you need to go because rig after rig were coming sure. to hospice. And it was very difficult. I just couldn't, I just didn't. It wasn't that I didn't want them there. It's just I needed, this was my time. Sure. I'm sure they so um, some of them did, some of them didn't. <laughs> um, so anyway, then on Sunday, uh, I'll, I remember, well, Saturday night, I remember, thank you, I had holding Pete's hand, he's in bed at hospice. I'm in the um, recliner next to him, and we're just, I'm just talking to him, holding his hand, telling him, you know, it's okay to go, we'll be fine, everything's good. And just talking to him, telling him how much I love him. And that I'll take care of the girls and don't worry about us. We'll be fine. And then um, Sunday, his mom came, his sister came, and they brought the girls. And everyone said goodbye to them, to him. And they left. And Pete's brother was still there. Um, and Karen was there when the priest had come. And uh, I remember holding his hand and I'm, I said, honey, I said, the girls just said goodbye to you. They're going home. Your mom said goodbye to you. Um, and your sister said goodbye to you. They're going home. And then um, all of us were standing around his bed, myself, Karen, uh, Pete's brother and his wife and the priest. And we were saying a prayer we're all holding hands, and I have my hand right on his, I'm holding his hand, but I have my hand on his chest. 
and so it was really peaceful and that was when he passed away very peaceful Nora clutches the necklace hanging in front of her heart. It contains some of Peter's ashes. She says Peter never blamed anybody for his renal cancer. He never said it came from that fire that turned his face silver, or from that fire that was so intense his helmet burned, or from any of the other fires he was exposed to over a 16-year span. Nora has a letter from his doctor saying there's no other way to get renal cancer except from smoke. Peter nor anyone else in his family ever smoked cigarettes. Nora and her girls don't blame anyone either. They simply focus on the good years they had with a man who dedicated his life to saving others and always put everyone else's well-being before his own. You have been listening to one of a series of podcasts from the Columbus Dispatch in which firefighters and the people around them tell their own stories in their own words. You can find more podcasts along with stories, videos, and interactive graphics, online at dispatch.com unmasked. This podcast was produced by Doral Chenoweth, with the assistance of reporter Mike Wagner and web producer Patrick Flaherty. I'm Mike Meckler. The Columbus Dispatch is a gatehouse newspaper. For information on how to subscribe to our award-winning print and digital content, please visit dispatch.com.